Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger of Story Point Church, located in the heart of Gold Creek, Florida. And now, here's Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger with this week's message from Story Point Church. So, uh, there was a question that went out over Christmas time, and the question was this, what is the greatest Christmas movie of all time? And so there are really only two. Die Hard. <laughs> Don't even go there. We all know Die Hard is a legitimate, bona fide Christmas movie. But the second one is this, It's a Wonderful Life. Now, okay, there, there, might, be, there might be some questions about the Die Hard, but most all of us would have to agree that It's a Wonderful Life is a pretty fantastic Christmas movie. And, and the, there's, a, there's a, a theme in that movie that, that teaches us a, a bigger theme in life. And the theme is this. If you'll remember, um, the, the question was, was given, what if I'd never been born? And the angel shows what it would be like had he never been born. And Pottersville, and you got all right. If you if you've not seen It's a Wonderful Life, you should repent and then go watch it today. But but the whole idea is this: what 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 is the, what has been the the net result of your life? What have you offered to the world? But even a better question is this: Had you never been born, how would the kingdom of God be different? Now, it really takes us a moment to settle into that question because the truth is, if you are a follower of Jesus, your life should have an impact in and on the kingdom of God. Let me ask you a little differently. How are you growing the kingdom of God? What are you doing so that the kingdom of God is expanded, so that the kingdom of God grows, so that the kingdom of God is made known. Well, we need to really probably start at the beginning before we answer that question. Because it would be possible that some in here don't even know that there is a kingdom of God. Open your Bibles, if you will, to Matthew chapter 4. Because in Matthew chapter 4, we see the beginning of Jesus' teaching, the beginning of His ministry. This is, this is like His... His, uh, his entrance into public ministry, essentially. And in his entrance in public ministry, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, the Bible says, from then on, Jesus began to preach. Right? So he's starting his preaching ministry. And it's going to last only about three years. Jesus began to preach, and here was his sermon. Ready? Repent. Because the kingdom of heaven has come near. That was the, the, the sum total of his sermons. Everything that he preached about was about repenting. For the kingdom of heaven is near. Now, just to be clear, Matthew speaks of the kingdom of heaven. Mark and Luke, and then one time in John, speaks of the kingdom of God. But they're the same thing. It has to do with the way Matthew approaches the holy name of God. He says heaven, but it's understood as the kingdom of God. In Mark and in Luke and in John, it's the kingdom of God. So the, the, the obvious question is this. Is there a kingdom of God? 
Now, when you came to Christ, most likely you heard the gospel. And I say most likely. You had to have heard the gospel because the gospel is how we can be saved, right? But when you heard the gospel, it is most probable that the gospel was centered and wrapped around your salvation. So you might have been asked a question like this. Do you know for certain that if you were to die today, you would spend eternity in heaven with God? Or you might have been asked a question like, have you ever thought about how much God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life? Most likely, when you heard the gospel, the gospel was centered around you being made right with God. And that is a good, valid question. I'm asking you that question now. Do you know for absolute certain that when you die, you will spend eternity in heaven with God? If the answer is no, there's a way that you can know with absolute certainty that you have a relationship with God. I'm going to tell you about that in just a second. But here's the thing. The gospel that is centered around you being saved, or the gospel that is centered around me being saved, is an incomplete gospel. Because it's not a gospel of salvation. Salvation is a part, it is a gospel of the kingdom. It is a gospel that is bigger than just you and just me. It is a gospel about a kingdom that endures Forever. When we sing the hallelujah chorus, we do forever, forever. I mean, it's, it's this, this kingdom that endures forever. It's a kingdom that has no end, and every kingdom has to have a king, and you don't need a king unless you have citizens of a kingdom. What I want to do today is reshape your thinking to understand the proper biblical understanding of the gospel, and that is that the gospel is all about the kingdom And the kingdom is all about the king. The Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is the king of all kings. Here's an interesting thing that we need to understand. It's not whether or not Jesus will be king. It's not that the jury's still out and that he's not yet king. No, he is king. He has always been king and he will always be king. And he's not just a king, he is the king. That's why when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me, he was declaring that he alone had the keys to the kingdom because he was and is and always will be the king. So is there a kingdom? Yes, there is. But what is the kingdom? Quite simply, the kingdom is the rule and reign of the king. The kingdom of God is a place where the king of kings is honored and glorified and respected as truly the king of kings. When the kingdom fully comes to pass, there will be no sin, there will be no rebellion, there will be no sickness, there will be no brokenness. Revelation 21 tells us about the new heaven and the new earth. This is in the future, but the kingdom is not just coming, the kingdom is actually here. That's why Jesus said, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand, or the kingdom of God is near. God, he was saying, look, my kingdom is here, but it's not yet to its fruition. It's not yet fully where it's going to be. There's a time that God is giving so that we can be invited into the kingdom and be underneath His Lordship 
and his kingship. And so, is there a kingdom? Yes. In fact, what you'll find if you read through Scripture and if you look for it, it'll start popping up everywhere. Kingdom, 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 kingdom. We don't really get that because we don't live in a kingdom. We live in a republic democracy where we have a vote and we have a choice. The thing is, in a kingdom, you don't have a vote and you don't have a choice. You have a king who is all sovereign. He does not need anyone else's opinion. He doesn't need anyone else's approval. He is absolute authority on everything. And here's the good part, though. We don't serve an earthly king who is flawed or who is sinful. We serve an earthly king who has also been revealed as a father. We serve a king who is revealed as one who gave himself for us. You want a king worthy of being ser- uh, worthy, who's worthy of being served? You find me the king who dies so that we don't have to. That's a king who is worthy to be served. So there is a kingdom. There is a king. What is our part in it? See, this is where we have to actually choose to do something. And my goal today is to help us understand that there is a kingdom that is bigger than us, that we are simply a part of, and yet... The part that we play is important, but it's also an opportunity. It's a gift from God. So a kingdom has a king, and a king has citizens. What's a citizen? A citizen is one who has the rights and privileges of a people. A citizen is one who's under the protection of the king. A citizen is one who has the provision of the king. In fact, the way the kingdom of God works is this. God gives every one of his citizens sonship or daughtership, so we become a child of the king. We become royal. We become heirs of Christ Jesus, the king. And because we are heirs, we also have been given authority. We have also been given um, um, uh, blessing in an area of responsibility for us to manage. So you say, how do I become a citizen of the kingdom? That's a great question. In John chapter 3, Nicodemus asked this very question. He, he actually said to Jesus, you're, you're, you're good, you're a good teacher. And Jesus said, why do you call me good? Nobody's good except for God. But I tell you, anyone who wants to enter in the kingdom of heaven must be born again. So there's a king with a kingdom. In that kingdom, there's a father and there's, a, there's, there's, a, there's a, a, a purpose and there's ownership. But those who want to be a part of the kingdom come into the kingdom by being born again. Now the question obviously is, well, what does it mean to be born again? Jesus explained it. He said, you must be born of flesh and you must be born of spirit. So there's a water birth and there's a spirit birth. Now, the difference is we're all born of flesh already. We have all been born of water. That's the womb, right? I mean, if you go into the biological part of it, you have a embiotic fluid and all that kind of stuff. That's what it means to be born of water. To be born of the Spirit means to be born again, which means Jesus Christ becomes the Lord or the Savior. To say it differently, you yield yourself to His Lordship 
and you allow His rule and reign inside of your hearts. You are relinquishing control of your life so that His life becomes yours. That's what it takes to be a part of the kingdom of God. That's why Jesus, when He preached, He said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Repentance is saying, I am tired of doing it on my own. I am tired of having it my own way. I am tired of being my own boss. I repent of doing it my way, and I step across the line, and I yield to the lordship and to the provision and to the leadership of Jesus Christ. So here's the thing. When you yield to the lordship of Christ, you are submitting yourself to the king, but it's not so that you can just go to heaven when you die. That's just using the king for kingly stuffs. Or stuffs. To... When you yield to the Lordship of Christ, what you are saying is, all that I am, all that I think, all that I ever want to be, all that I ever dream of going, all that I want, all that I plan, it is all yielded to you completely. You say, well, that's radical. Yes, it is. I don't know if you can tell, but I'm about to jump out of my skin. I am so excited about this, and here's why. Every single time, 100% of the time, God does it better than me. 100% of the time, God's plan is better than my plan. I have never one-upped God. I have never been like, you know what, God, that's a pretty good idea, but wait till you hear what I have in store. God, you know, I appreciate what you're doing in this situation, but let me get my hands involved in it, and I'll show you how it really works. Every time I try to usurp the rightful authority of Jesus Christ, I mess it up. I know I do. You say, well, you haven't ever done anything right? I will tell you this. The only good that I've ever done, it's because of Jesus Christ working in me and through me. You can take that to the bank. I'm a wretched sinner. I am broken beyond repair except for the grace of God that is displayed in my life on a consistent basis. And so, if you surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, there's an obvious question. And the obvious question is this. How do I grow the kingdom? Because when you submit to the Lordship of Christ, you suddenly have one job. Your one job is to introduce people to the kingdom. That's it. You say, well, wait a minute. How do I make money doing that? No, no, no. It's not about how you make money doing that. It's about how do you do that in the midst of where you are making money. That's the real question. I have a friend who's going to come and speak to us sometime in the near future. His name is Danny Adams, and his wife's name is Linda. Spent some time with him last week. I love Danny so much. He's in his 70s. Him and his wife are just... Just normal, ordinary, godly people. Here's what's cool about them. If they were to walk into the room, you would have no idea their story. But believe me when I tell you, their story would blow your mind. The things that he has done, the things that they have done, the impact to the kingdom of God is exponentially greater than I could possibly explain. You'll just have to believe me. And when he comes, he'll share some of that. He's not a preacher, he's not a teacher. He's not one who likes the stage. He doesn't command the attention of the room. And yet his whole purpose in life is to grow the kingdom of God. God has blessed him and his wife 
over and over and over, and they cannot even contain the blessing. Why? Because God knows that they are faithful each and every day with what He's given them. Let me just give you an example. About two years ago, Danny and his wife Linda got this call, and it was a guy from Africa. And in his broken African uh, 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 accent, he essentially says, hey, I just got here from Africa. I came to go to school, but they don't have a place for me to live. And I heard from somebody who told somebody who told somebody that you might could help me. This is a call out of the blue. And then he goes, well, I suppose you could live in our basement while we figure it out. So he drives over and gets him, drives an hour back and puts him in the basement. And as they begin talking, they begin to realize that he doesn't have any money. He doesn't have a job. He doesn't have the documents he needs. All he did was come here to learn how to pastor. And this school was going to help him do that, but he had nothing else. And so Danny and Linda said, you know what? I guess the Lord has put him on our doorstep for a reason. He gave him a job. He said, look, while you're here, you're going to need money. So I'm, I'm in construction. You can help me do construction. Do you know construction? I don't know construction. Okay, I'll teach you how to do construction. So he would bring him to the job site, and they would start working on houses. But after a handful of months, what, he, what my friend Danny realized was that this pastor was a gifted evangelist. All he wanted to do was talk about Jesus. And it was so evident because people would just show up to the houses that they were rehabbing, and the first thing he would do was start talking about Jesus. And Danny said to his young African friend, he said, tell you what, we're going to change our job description right now. He said, up until this point, I've been talking about this being, we're a construction company, and we talk about Jesus. We're no longer a construction company who talks about Jesus. From now on, we are evangelists who do construction. <laughs> Chill bumps. He said in the last two years, 40 men have trusted Jesus Christ on their construction sites because they've talked about Jesus. And here's the best part. He said, Jeff, I've never seen this before in my entire life. People walk in off the street and say these words, can you tell me how to be saved? Like they literally walk in and just ask the question, can you tell me how to be saved? Why, yes, I can. See, the thing about Danny that I love so much is this. He's not thinking 10 years out in a strategic plan about how he can impact the kingdom of God. He's not forming a 501c3 and getting people to donate money so he can go do something big. And he's not, he's not thinking about how large of a ministry he can do. All he's thinking about is, today, what does God have in store for me? And as God leads me, I'm just going to say, okay, Lord, I'll do it. Here's what's super cool. One of the houses that he bought in the last year or so was a, was a conglomeration of houses. He goes to the city and he buys like six or seven houses at a time and then he rehabs them and sells them or rents them. One of the houses in this conglomeration of houses that he bought for almost nothing was condemned by the city to be torn down. So he went to the city council and he said, hey, why are you going to tear my house down? They said, well, we have to. It's beyond repair. He said, let me, let me do something with it. So he finally got approval. When he went to the house to see it, he walked in and there was a 70-ish year old man living in one of the rooms, had been living there for two years. 
And Danny said that he wasn't very spiritual at the moment. He basically said, hey, this is my house now. You need to pack your stuff and move out. I'll be back in an hour. I want you gone. He went and he grabbed some lunch and the Lord started to convict him. And God started to say, hey, that wasn't very Jesus-like. He's like, yeah, okay. So he went back and he found the man hadn't left already. And he took him to lunch and he heard his story. And it turns out this man had some money coming in for retirement, but it wasn't enough money to actually pay rent and uh, uh, electricity and medicine and all that kind of stuff. He said, the Lord gave him an idea. He said, listen, why don't you take this house that was supposed to be torn down? It's got six bedrooms in it. Why don't you make each one of those bedrooms its own bedroom and you find guys like this guy who have just barely enough, but they don't have enough and you let them rent one room in your place for their, to meet their need. So he goes to his property manager and he says, listen, I don't want to do the HUD thing. I don't want to section aid it. I want to, I want to make it a place where we can help some people get on their feet. And the guy says, man, that's crazy. Nobody does that. He goes, I know, but it's what God said to do. He said for the last however long it's been, it's been completely full. Every single one of those rooms, not only is he making more than he ever possibly could have made through that house, but he's actually ministering to young men and old men and giving them a place to live because it's the only affordable option and a place where they can have dignity in the midst of it. That is what it means to expand and grow the kingdom of God. In fact, he's, he's partnered with some men's ministries so that on Friday nights, somebody comes in and teaches the Bible in the main room for the men that live there and will come. No drugs, no party and nothing. These guys are just happy to have a place. I tell you that as one little sliver, as a way of saying to you, you don't, we don't need a hundred preachers. What we need is a hundred followers of Jesus who will say, as I go, I'm simply going to be thinking kingdom-minded. I'm simply going to be thinking, how does God want me to grow His kingdom today? And listen, whether you flip burgers, whether you manage people, whether you're in banking, whether you're in your computers, whether you're a mom, whether you're in PTA, it does not matter because God needs you or wants you where you are because where you are, you bring the kingdom of God. And what is the kingdom of God? There is a king and he is worth following. He's worth serving. He's worth adoring. There was a man who was on the cross next to Jesus. Even he understood the kingdom of God. One of the guys on one side started to mock Jesus and said, you saved others, just get yourself down from here. By the way, what was the title put upon the cross for Jesus? Jesus, the king of the Jews. See, even Pilate recognized that he was a king. Matter of fact, it was said, don't put that up there. He's not our king. He goes, no, no, what I've written, I've written. He is the king. The other criminal said these words. Said, you stop talking about this man. You and I are getting what we deserve. He's done nothing wrong. There was an acknowledgement of who Jesus was. And then he said, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. In his last moments of life, this criminal was thinking about the kingdom. My question to you is a hard question. 
How long have you been a follower of Jesus? And how much have you thought about the kingdom? You see, God has given you resources. He's given you all that you need to impact the kingdom for His purpose and plan. You have all the money you need. You have all the influence you need. You have all of the resources in every other way that you need. You say, well, wait a minute. I don't have all that much. Let me tell you what Jesus said. He said, I gave ten to one, five to another, and one to another. And what you do with what I gave you will determine if I give you more or if I take away the one that you already had and didn't use. What you do with your resources, and I'm not talking just about money. I'm talking about your talents. I'm talking about your time. I'm talking about your passions. I'm talking about your desires. What you do with what God has given you will determine if God gives you more or takes away what you have. You say, well, that's not fair. Actually, it is because a king has absolute authority. In fact, it's not fair that you and I have anything at all. The Bible says every good and perfect gift comes from above. If you've been blessed, it's not been because you are fantastically wonderful in God's gift to the earth, and not just, that's not me either. Everything that I've been given is because God has graciously and kindly entrusted it to me. And to the best of my ability, I want to be faithful with every single last penny. I don't want to hold anything back. I don't want to stand before God one day and say, Lord, I was just saving for a rainy day, so I got a pile of cash back here I want to give back to you. You know what his answer to me is? What good do I have with that now? I gave you that for when you could do something with it. You think I need cash? I paved my streets with gold, right? Listen, the cool thing about this is the kingdom of God is where you find true joy. Romans chapter 14, verse 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. In other words, it's not about living our life for us. It's not about enjoying the pleasures of life. And Now, now it doesn't mean that we can't do that. No, what I've actually found is as I go... The pleasures of life are intermingled into the glory of God. So in other words, I've had more fun following Jesus than I could ever have following Jeff. Way more fun. I've had way more opportunities as a Christ follower than I could ever possibly open and experience just in my own strength. I promise you that a hundred times. Oh, I wish I could tell you about the experiences in Russia. I wish I could tell you about the experiences in China. Wish I could tell you about Guatemala. I wish I've been to places that I never even I didn't even know existed. The only reason I went was for the kingdom of God, and the only thing that I enjoyed there well not the only thing, but the main thing that I enjoyed was watching God do supernatural work in the midst of his people. I promise you that's that's nothing that I could have done for me. But God said, You want to have a you want to have a good life? You want to enjoy your life? Jump on board my train. Because my train is going some places that are super, super cool. Okay, maybe he doesn't say it that way. But that's basically, let me ask you a question, just by way of hands. 
Has anybody found them place, themselves in a place or doing something they never dreamed it would be possible, but it's because the kingdom of God is being lived in your life and through your life? Anybody? Is it true? I'm telling you. You cannot duplicate on your own what God can and will and wants to do in your life. So listen, for the kingdom of God is not eating or drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. In other words, the king puts his deposit inside of us in the, as the Holy Spirit. And so we have a connection to God that is constantly on. It is constantly perfect, and it is constantly wise, and it is constantly good, and it is constantly powerful. That is a different way of living. So my question back to the very beginning. If you had never been born, how would the kingdom be different? Put simply, what are you doing to grow the kingdom? One of the things I like about the Scripture is it shows us all of the different ways that God does grow His kingdom. In, uh, in, in Acts chapter 28, verse 30, the Scripture says, Paul stayed two whole years in his own rented house. So in other words, he was on house arrest. He stayed in a house, didn't hardly go anywhere, but guess what he did? And he welcomed all who visited him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Man, he was eat up with it. If you came to visit his house, he was going to talk about the kingdom of God. I talked to a guy yesterday by the name of Randy Ray, pastor for 40-something years. He's going to be one of our pastors here in July for our pastor's conference and as I was getting to know him a little bit, he told me of a, um, of a friend that he had had back in the 1980s, 87-ish or so. It was in Nashville, Tennessee. The friend was a banker, and he became friends with him by visiting him in his office. And one day, this banker brought him in the office and opened up a ledger. See, in those days, they didn't have computers. They had these ledgers that they would write down. You remember that, right? That tells you... Uh, tells you how far things have come. By the way, I was at a store yesterday and the guy legitimately told me the computer's never wrong. I'm like, okay, that tells me all I need to know about you. So my, my, my friend Randy looked at the ledger because the guy showed me, said, you see this right here? On the top of the ledger, it had these words, I want to be in the field when the sun goes down. This was the banker of the town, enormous influence, and his whole reason for living was, I want to be in the field when the sun goes down. When he died, it was revealed how influential in the community he was. Why? Because he had a kingdom mindset. He always thought about the kingdom. How does what I do affect the kingdom? This is what I'm asking for you to do. If you're not already doing it, begin to ask the question, what are you doing to grow the kingdom? How does this decision affect the kingdom? How does this trip affect the kingdom? Because everything you do can affect the kingdom.
everything as you go. Next time you go on a cruise, I want you to think about this. How does this cruise affect the kingdom? You want to know an easy way? That is the greatest international mission trip you will ever go on. You will have people from 150 different nations all coming up to you wanting to talk. You can affect the kingdom even in the midst of a cruise. When you go to school, how does this affect the kingdom? When you treat the kid that everybody else is making fun of and putting off and putting down in the corner, when you treat them as if they have value and as, they ha- as if they have dignity, you are affecting and growing the kingdom. Not only for that one person, but you're showing everybody else that God cares about the people that people don't value. When you help a senior adult to figure out how to do their taxes... When you walk through the hospital and you make visits, when you're in the store and you offer a kind word, if you help a lady with a crying baby or if you help a father who's trying to figure out what he's supposed to buy because his wife is at home at sick, when you do all of these things, when you do them in the name of Jesus, you are growing and affecting the kingdom of God. And that brings honor and glory to Him. Amen? I hope you're as excited about this as I am. I hope that you leave here with an overwhelming and inexpressible joy that God gives you the opportunity, the privilege of being called a child of God, a son of the King, an heir to Christ Jesus, and a citizen of the greatest kingdom in all of the universe. That's who you are. Um... You know, we're talking about the estate planning. What's really cool about this is that I didn't quite understand how important it was until I went through the process myself. Shannon and I made the phone call. We went through the process. And when I discovered, when we discovered, that the last gift that we're ever going to give of the entirety of our estate Right? This is everything. House, cars. Because right now, none of that stuff is liquid. I mean, that stuff is, 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 is tangible. But when we, when we step into eternity, hopefully together, <laughs> that'd be good. <laughs> I want to live without you, and you probably don't want to. Actually, you could probably live without me. Let's not go there. Let's, just, let's not do that. That'd make a good country song, wouldn't it? When we, here's, here's what is so cool about this, and, and I, I'd never saw it before. When we step into eternity, we literally are going to be able to give, for us, it's what we decided, you can decide what you want, we're going to give the largest gift we've ever given to God's kingdom at one time when we're face to face with the Father. That's awesome. That is so cool. It's like, Jesus, we're here, but I want to give you one more. Here's what, here's what I never thought about until just recently. Because we've actually already done this, God is going to bless us based on that obedience so that we reap the blessing before we even finalize the giving. And it's like, How good is God? 
He's way gooder than we could imagine. He's gooder than good. And that's why the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Once you've tasted, you can never go back. Amen? Will you close your eyes and bow your head for just a moment? I want to invite you, if you're not part of the kingdom of God, this might sound a little strange to you. It might be new. Maybe you've heard it before. But you must be born again. No one enters into the kingdom of God unless you're born again. That means you've got to repent, turn from your sin, and turn to Jesus. If you've never trusted Jesus, I want to invite you to say, God, I know that I'm a sinner, and I know that my sin separates me from you. But I want to be part of your family. I want to be in your kingdom. I trust you, Jesus, to be the Lord and the Savior of my life. I ask you to save me. In Jesus' name. And this morning, if you have not been very kingdom-minded, listen, you don't need to feel guilty. You just need to make a change. So right where you are, yield to the Lordship of Christ Jesus. Maybe you say, I used to be, but I've kind of gotten off track. All right. We have to regularly do that, don't we? This morning... Yield to the Lordship of Christ. We're going to sing a song, and it's really just a, a time for you to respond however God would lead you to do that. If this morning you need somebody to pray with you, if this morning you want to trust Christ or you have trusted Christ and you want to make that public, simply respond as we sing this song. Will you stand with me?